Radio Drome. You know you have nothing better to do on a Thursday night than listen to Radio Drome. I'm Josh Hadley. The Marquis de Suede is with us, as unfortunately always. Always. I never leave. He, he, except he's... that time I left. Except that time you <laughs> couldn't bother to show up on time either. Yeah. What do you mean leave? You're not in the same place. And we are back to Brad sounding like Diamanda Hagen again. Yeah, because Brad didn't want to turn it because he's like playing GTA or recording shot on shitio or growing a beard. Why can't he be doing all three? I don't know. Does shot and shitio have a section about GTA? This is going to be interesting. It could be. You know what else is interesting? AdamandEve.com, which unfortunately Brad Hagen cannot use because Brad Hagen is in the UK. But for all of our U.S. listeners, you can use the promo code DROME at AdamandEve.com to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift. AdamandEve.com, promo code DROME. Theoretically, I could send my order to my wife who lives in America. She lives in Pennsylvania. Okay, if you got a U.S. address, then you can do that, and then she can forward whatever weird dragon dildo or that whatever you end up buying. <laughs> you're the way. Hey, you're the one that introduced that crap to us last time. Baddragon.com, one of the most wonderful sites in the world for freaking out people who have not come across such things before. Diamanda, do you want to explain to us the movies that you made us watch for this? Because this is your topic tonight. You picked this, and Alex and I begrudgingly went. All right. <laughs> well, today's subject is uh, religious movies. Well, to be exact, it's Christian movies. And to be exact, it's end times movies. You might not realize this, but there is a massive Christian industry of filmmaking in America that's concentrated on end times movies. And uh, the current the craze for rapture movies in America has been going on since about, probably Left Behind kicked it off, but that wasn't the first of the current set. Was, was that 94? Four ninety. I seem to remember that shortly after I was out of high school. Um, that might be a bit early, but it was definitely in the nineties. I think it was the tail end of the nineties. But it's it's there is a massive underground of Christian cinema, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's another form of exploitation film. But the people being exploited are mostly the poor schmucks who buy this incredibly terrible film because they're convinced it's of it's got spiritual worth or some crap. Well, but this to be fair, this isn't new. On Live Nude Geeks, we did a 1981 movie called Years of the Beast that Alex actually watched. Was it in Sunday School, Alex, back in the 80s or 90s? Oh, it must have been the late 80s that I watched that oh, in Sunday although School. Although I'd, like, I'd just like to say, I made you watch two of these movies. You made me watch Years of the Beast. And after I watched it, after you, you, know, after I, you made me watch it, I realized I had seen this before. This was just the very generic Rapture movie that I had sort of escaped from my mind. Did you see it in Sunday school as well? Nope, I was not raised Christian. Good for you. But the current set of Rapture movies started, it was became big with Left Behind, or as big as these things get. But before that, there was definitely the late 70s, early 80s set as well, which sort of petered out until it was re, re-brought back with Left Behind. To be fair, now, you're, you're calling them Rapture movies. What about the other movies that 
even if their comedies would wax philosophical like the Oh God, You Devil movies or Holy Moses with Richard Pryor and things like that, aren't those Christian movies as well, even if they're not as rapturistic as you would like? Well, a Christian movie doesn't need to be um, to have the rapture. I just tend to use rapture movies as like a short time for Christian movies, which is very unfair of me. Uh, there's a difference between it's like having a, a, a band which has Christian members compared to a Christian rock band. The movies you're describing with Richard Pryor and stuff, the guys who made them may well be Christians, but they're not Christian movies. The Christian Christian movies, their first thing is to is to get Christianity and spread it to be uh, equal parts propagandist and um, preaching to the choir. The, the, the Richard Pryor ones, if they have any kind of agenda like that at all, it's going to be much lower down the pecking order to be a Christian movie. In fact, something like Holy Moses seems like it's more of a parody. But then you've got things like Dogma from Kevin Smith. It's a straight-out fart joke. It's got a poop monster in it, and yet he says it's an affirmment of his Catholic beliefs. Yeah, I, but it's, it's, not, it's not a quote-unquote Christian movie. Because his his main effort is not to bring people to a particular type of God that he has decided to show off. Or it's not there to reaffirm the faith of Christians who already believe. He just wanted to make a poop monster. Yeah, and he just he hung it around religion, which is fine. Because any movie that has religion in it or made by a religious person does not have to be a religious movie. Well, you watched Years yeah. of the Beast. What, 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 what did you think of it? Because Alex and I, we found it to be boring and kind of ridiculous. I mean, it started off okay, and then, okay, this is something I've noticed with all of these movies that, like, the ones you made us watch, and Years of the Beast, and a couple of others. Why is the Antichrist always the U.S. president? Actually, he's almost never the U.S. president. He was He's the U.S. president in Years of the Beast. That's why I said almost. Okay. It's like in, in the Omega Code movies, okay, maybe he's not the U.S. president, but he's the world dictator or whatever. Well, yeah, he becomes the world he in order to be the Antichrist in a in a end times movie. He's got to become world dictator. So, so usually he starts off as some sort of politician. The current set uh, is that the current trend with them is to have him be head of the EU. Yeah, there's there's that too. But then you've you've also got this this weird thing where look at that Bible miniseries that was on recently, the one on the History Channel, where they they were not hiding their politics at all where the devil was a black guy that looked just like Barack Obama. And you just looked at that and you went, wow, subtle. These are, they're both coming from very different places. You know, I, 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 I don't know a huge, huge, huge amount about the beliefs of the guys behind these movies, but I know a fair amount. The ones who are making the rapture, quote unquote rapture movies, they generally want to be a sort of connect America with, Christianity, and that's why they tend to show the Antichrist being a non-American. Most of them do that. So you've got Barack Obama's an American. I, I oh, I know the Bible ones. This is a different thing. This is the Bible. This is not an end times movie. This they're coming from from a different angle. They're coming from it. If there was a, I'm on the side that's suggesting that the guy who did it doesn't like Obama and he wanted to make some sort of a joke. Um, but that was not. They're they're coming from very different uh, directions with their who the Antichrist is in their movies. It does go with the whole world leader thing. That's why you get a lot of Christian organizations that 
have for decades always said the the current pope is the antichrist because he fashions himself the ruler of all world in a religious sense yeah the whoever the antichrist is it's basically whoever is terrifying some very frightened guys in the midwest at any given time yeah that's exactly that's a good way to put it but let's actually move away from the philosophical before we lose all of our listeners and just talk about the insane movies that that we've watched so since Alex and I already did an entire live riff on Years of the Beast, what were your thoughts on Years of the Beast? Years of the Beast was, if you want to see the most generic early 80s, possibly late 70s, I couldn't really tell. It came out um, in 81, so... Eh. Oh, not bad. If you want to see the most generic early 80s rapture movie possible that was made with a low budget, then check that out. If you want to watch one that's much more inept and therefore much more funny then you should check out Thief in the Night. I'm, not, I'm unfamiliar with that one. Okay, you, you know how Excalibur only has one musical cue and it's Karma Brana? The same music over and over again. Well, Thief in the Night's very similar, but its choice of music is the sort of triumphant marching song from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> so everything from you know the rapture to God appearing to the Antichrist to terror, everything in the movie is soundtrack to... It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> to me, Years of the Beast, I was actually kind of getting into it for a little while. Like I said earlier, it's the beginning. It doesn't start too bad. And I actually kind of liked the initial subtle way that the president was the Antichrist until he put on the satanic robe with the upside down cross and took everyone's guns away. I went, OK, this is just right wing propaganda now. To be honest, one of the appeals of this sort of movie is that it, they've got their own particular tropes, and they will hammer them into the ground, and it's 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 a sort of movie that's made for a drinking game. Hey, we barely made it through the live Nude Geeks episode, if you haven't heard that one yet, Diamanda. Yeah, I mean, the movie itself is mostly just Christians hanging out in the woods, and then occasionally, oh, wait, yeah, we do have an end time story to tell here, don't we? And, 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 then, and then, a, then a melting sheriff would come on. He was just kind of progressively melting as the movie went on, wasn't he? <laughs> and then they have some, uh, they randomly stuck in some survivalist stuff. So I suppose that's the really noteworthy thing about Years of the Beast. A, the rapture scene is the most underwhelming rapture ever. This is the reason yeah, why. I'm... It's not even a dissolve. The camera pans to the one actor that stays and then he comes back and there's empty clothes. And they don't to... even show anyone raptured. Well, to be fair, most Rapture movies don't show it because they got a choice when they when they show it. Either they have to show it to be incredibly underwhelming, just like they did, or you got to come up with some sort of crazy, uh, crazy uh, special effects thing. But that's hard to do because, if I remember correctly, the bit in the Bible that they interpret it to be about the Rapture, which they base the Rapture on, uh, it says it's going to happen subtly, so you can't make it a special effects bonanza. So mostly they just don't show it. I was thinking something like. All in the movie Undead, that zombie movie from Australia, where everyone's getting picked up by the alien light and hovering with their arms out in the sky. That's kind of what I was picturing, or am I weird like that? Oh no, that's a good one. That's very similar to Jerusalem Countdown's um, its version of the Rapture, which is the most over-the-top Rapture scene I'd ever seen. It's amazing. These guys, they get hit by lightning, and then they get sucked up into the air, and then they sort of explode in their clothes and every false part of their body you know like teeth and sorry false teeth and like you know hip joints all like rain on top of everyone who didn't get raptured it's brilliant that actually sounds intriguing honestly and, 
And it's set right at the end of what is basically a Christian fundamentalist Tom Clancy thriller. That sounds interesting. That really does sound interesting, especially the fact that it's a Tom Clancy style thriller. Yeah, these, just, uh, rapture. the 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 Antichrist or the guys working for the Antichrist have got these um seven nuclear warheads and they have caught them inside the United States. These agents are going off to try and capture it and you know save the day and shit. And then suddenly, bang, rapture. No, oh, well, this is like after the, the, the they've won the day. This is like an epilogue. It's there's a there's one movie. It's called it's an incredibly low budget Christian movie called Leap. I think it's called Leap. Basically, it's about it's Christian parkour movie for teens. So you got teens running around doing parkour, and one becomes a Christian, and then the other ones are like, oh, we thought parkour was your religion. We don't love you anymore. And then they have like they're fighting each other, but then they all become Christians. But then at the end of this little teen drama. Right at the end, epilogue, they're, they're all like, oh man, and they got this newsreader with a terrible backdrop announcing that the rapture's happened, and then suddenly bang, like, th- this guy's the Antichrist, and it just happens within two minutes at the end of the movie, and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, see, I, I always wanted to make a, sh- a short film, because I don't think it could sustain a full film, where Jesus does come back to Earth, and nobody believes he's Jesus, and they end up putting him in a mental hospital and eventually lobotomizing him. So he's just sitting there drooling on himself, but it actually was Jesus. And I always thought that would be really funny, but I've been told that that's really blasphemous. I think that's a really good idea, actually, because just looking at the Jesus story as work of fiction, like I'm not saying 100% that it is 100% work of fiction, I don't know, but if you're going to do like an updated sequel version of it, yeah, that's that perfectly fits. I, I'm going to have a hard time finding funding for that, I'm, I'm going to wager. Plus, it's a little bit like the the best episode of Mortal Kombat Legacy, where Raiden appears and he comes to Earthrealm in the wrong place, and they think he's insane because he's wearing white and he's in a mental institution, and they give him electroshock and it basically destroys his godly powers. So eventually, he convinces another inmate to kill him so he can re- rematerialize whoa, in a whoa, new whoa, body. Whoa, 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 back up! Raiden, the god of thunder and lightning, has yep. electroshock. They didn't think this through, did they? I don't know, but it was a good episode, and it was a really nice idea, I think, that if they'd expanded it and they'd uh, got rid of the logical kinks, it could have been quite good. I'd watch it. Hell yeah. Well, okay. Now, the the other one or two that you made us watch were the Omega Codes. The Omega Code and Megiddo, the Omega Code 2. My review of the Omega Code was, with one exception, a great cast, really bad production values, ridiculous story. Terrible acting, and okay, I'm able to accept Diamanda. I'm able to accept the the rapture happening and the Antichrist. To me, the most unbelievable part was Casper Van Dien as a multiple doctorate holding religious scholar. (laughs) (laughs) That's very fair. The 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 Omega Code is really. It's the sort of film that you have to sit through in order to get the full effect of the sequel. Right, and. Honestly, I was kind of bored by it, except for one thing. A little mini Sequest reunion. Because in the third season of Sequest 2032, Michael Ironside took over as Captain Oliver Hudson, and he's in the Omega Code. And the bad guy in that season was Michael York, also playing a world leader named Alexander, who often stood in front of giant backlit maps, like he does here. So I'm thinking... (laughs) Did the direct was the director a big Sequest 2032 fan? Because that can't be a coincidence. I have no idea, but that just sounds beautiful. 
Honestly, the, um, Josh, I think just you would pick that up. I don't think Michael York would have noticed that. That's really deep. Because I rewatched it for this for purposes of this as well, and I have to say, I really actually did quite like the the uniqueness of having the Antichrist not deliberately be the Antichrist. How he was actually trying to follow the the code of what was going to happen in the end times, not a, not actually to be the Antichrist, just so he could get power on Earth. He was trying to beat the devil, uh, but then he get, ends up getting killed and gets reincarnated almost as the devil and stuff. But it was a nice, completely different take than usual. Well, and just like that other one you mentioned, it did have kind of a, not, not as much like a Tom Clancy spy thriller, but it had more of a political thriller angle to it with the overt religious overtones, which got real ridiculous at the end. I was mainly bored by the movie. Alex, I know you kind of had the same feeling when, when you messaged me, this movie's boring. Uh, yeah, it is, except for Casper Van Dien is just so bad, it becomes entertaining. I'm not but, sure if he knew he was he was supposed to be playing this role straight. I think he thought he was in a parody movie. When I first watched this movie back in 99 when it came out, the whole concept of the Bible code was popular at the time, and I found it interesting. And I saw this movie at the video store and rented it thinking that it was a documentary about see, the Bible code stuff. And I was, was surprised. <laughs> there was, uh, okay, there's an Australian comedian called John Safran, and he did this show can't remember which one of his shows he did it, but he did this show where he decided to demonstrate that the Bible code was completely bullshit. By um, he got he got the original Bible code program that the person had done, and he he showed that you could find these words in the Bible, da 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 da. But then he also indicated that you could um find anything and anything. So what he did was he took the 9/11 report, official government report, about what happened, and he took the lyrics of of uh, Vanilla Ice. So. He managed to find in the 9-11 report, by using the exact same program for the Bible code, de- details and, prof- and, and uh, post-prophecies, well, prophecies in reverse, of uh, the rise and fall of Vanilla Ice. And then in the lyrics of Vanilla Ice, he found warnings about 9-11. And see, I kind of picked up on that even in the movie itself, because near the beginning, when Casper Van Dien, multiple, do- multiple doctorate-holding religious scholar, <coughs> is on a talk show... He's he's explaining the Bible code, and he goes, and if we take out every 15th word, but sometimes it's the fourth or fifth letter, and I'm going, so you just admitted right there, you're molding the code to what you want it to say, not the other way around, right? You just yeah. admitted that in the script of your movie. Yeah, the Bible code be a stupid thing. It's just like, write whatever prophecy you want after the fact and say, yeah, those those words, all of them, they're in the Bible somewhere. Like the, but, but, uh, but I just the, liked when the, I just liked the fact that the movie called bullshit on itself in the first five minutes. I did, but did you notice in that scene, Casper Van Dyne was acting just like Tom Cruise in that Oprah Winfrey interview? I picked interview? up on that with the jumping on the couch. So, I'm like, is that a Tom Cruiseism or was that just Casper no, Van Dyne no, going this crazy? Was, this is the Omega Code predicting Tom Cruise's behavior later on. Or maybe Tom Cruise thought he was Casper Van Dyne when he was on Oprah. Right, no, no, it's a code a... within the code. It's a code within a code within the code. You see? Oh my god! They and have then, layered. And then the ending, because we have to talk about the ending to, to, for the second film. And the ending, basically, God intercedes, resets man to zero, bathes the earth in a beautiful white light, and starts humanity over. Or did I misinterpret the ending, Diamanda? 
Um, I think you possibly misinterpreted what they were going for. What they're probably going for was God killed the devil, and this is the Battle of Armageddon has been finished, and uh, therefore la la, everything's wonderful. But the little printer at the end said year zero 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 zero, the new millennium begins, and it was yeah, that the, beautiful the new light, and then the oh yeah. music, and I'm like, oh the, come on. The new millennium in the context of the, those beliefs are the thousand years of perfect time on on earth before everyone goes to heaven it's what the jehovah's witnesses refer to as paradise earth and it's the the heaven on earth thing but i thought the ending to the omega code was just rather sudden and abrupt not not as much as the sequel which we'll get to but it just came out of nowhere that and i was watching the movie laying in bed and i didn't want to get up and read these prophecies as they were on the screen so any foreshadowing it had, just I didn't care. I was just like, ah, they'll explain it anyway. Well, well and then um, there, there, with there, these there. with these movies, with when you're doing uh, end times, because the guys whose beliefs you're putting on on screen, they very they tend to have quite particular beliefs in what's going to happen. Now they've really got a they got a choice to make, which is either end the the Antichrist in the first movie which is inaccurate to the beliefs. Their beliefs are that there's going to be like seven years of the Antichrist laying the shit out of everything. And and also God, you know, nuking Earth and everything because he's pissed off. That happens um, in the next movie. Mm. But then uh, you, you, can, so you can either make everything go incredibly quickly and then write it like at the last two minutes, destroy everything, you know, God wins, woo. Or you can do what Left Behind did and what the Apocalypse movies and Thief in the Night did, which was just... Assume you're going to get a sequel and then just do like, you know, two, three, four movies just and try to just drag it out. I don't think I've ever seen a series, though, drag it out with enough bits in in order to realistically get the full seven years, though. Thief in the Night and Apocalypse got four movies each, but they never quite got there. Another problem I had with the Omega Code was its length. This movie did not need to be an hour fifty. The movie was a good 20, 25 minutes longer than it needed to be. The movie was dragging as it was, and they just kept adding useless subplots that I'm going, I don't care. Actually, the length didn't bother me because I skipped like the middle chunk when it turned into a suspense movie. I'm like, I get what's going on here. Fast Let's forward. speed it up a bit, you know. As, as much as, do you mind, as much as I did not enjoy the Omega Code, Megiddo. The Omega Code 2 it was really fun. It was actually a pretty well-made movie, tell the rushed ending that Alex hinted at, because, <laughs> it, well, first of all, it pretends to be both a prequel and a sequel to the first film, but yep. not a single bit of continuity links up to those. The first half of Megiddo takes place in the 60s and 70s, with Franco fucking Nero, too. Talk about another cast, Imanda. You got Franco Nero... Udo Cure, Michael York, Michael Bean, Arlie Ermey as the U.S. president. How the hell do you get a cast like that for one of these movies? The same way that these movies now get uh, Kevin Sorbo and Eric Roberts. They pay them money. Just, I just couldn't believe this cast. I'm like, this is a great cast here. The stuff in the 60s and 70s I thought was actually pretty good. A couple of anachronisms like them playing paintball in the 70s when it wasn't invented till the mid-80s. But fine, fair enough. I was willing to let that go. Then when you get to the nows, 
it jumps to 2017, and this is made in 2001. The last film, the Millennium 000 thing happened in 1999. So how is this a sequel when you don't even start these events till eight years after the events of the... You're not, you didn't even try to link these up, did you? You see, this is why I make people watch Megiddo... Sorry, Omega Code 1 before Omega Code 2, because the fact that Omega Code 2 makes no fucking sense in context with Omega Code 1 is part of the delight of it. Yeah, and it is technically a sequel, because they reference the events in the wrong years, and Michael York is arguably playing the same character, but again, oh. yeah, yes. I'm not sure Sto- how. Sto- Stone Alexander. Except the, um, I don't remember the vice president of the United States being his brother in the first film. Yeah, and of course there's the little thing that, uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful. It's like, oh, you, at the start you think it's going to be like, uh, you think it's like a prequel, and then suddenly the movie ke- and it keeps going and keeps going, and then it kills the mover again. It's the, mo- the guys who made it didn't care. The first film was an attempt at doing uh, a, a, a proper christian movie of of that sort however the uh the sequel was directed by brian trenchard smith yeah when when you hire the guy that made leprechaun 4 leprechaun in space you kind of have to assume you know what you're getting right and one man from hong kong bunch of silk stockings episodes turkey shoot yeah jason blade ones uh um uh what do you call uh god damn it death chasers yeah i mean he dead end driving he, he even uh, has... He's got B-movie credentials. Yes, he does. And, you know, a lot of people shit on Quentin Tarantino, but, you know, I'm going to... This is an argument from authority, I suppose, vaguely, but he is Quentin Tarantino's favorite director. And he he does a pretty good job in this, and you can definitely see in Megiddo the exploitation roots. This is an exploitation movie that happens to also be an Antichrist movie. I mean, yeah, this... it, it, Diamanda, it has that beautiful line between Michael Bean and Michael York, who are brothers in this. Michael York is the president of the president of the European Union. By the way, 12 years before the European Union would exist. I'm sorry, I nitpick. That's what I do, okay? And his brother is Michael Bean, the vice president of the United States, who becomes president after Michael York kills Arlie Ermey. And Michael Bean has that great line. You don't have a chance in hell of getting what you want. Oh, I'll always have a chance in hell, David. Well, this is... Okay, I view the the Rapture movies and the End Times movies and Christ, in Christian movies as a type of exploitation film. And it is wonderful to have a movie that perfectly crystallizes why I view it. It's like the perfect cross uh, of those two points. It's the, it's like they got the script to an Antichrist movie, a generic one, and they gave it to a... They had a cast that didn't really give a crap and they give it to a director with b-movie credentials and they just had at it and it's a thing of wonder and beauty and i am eventually going to review it properly it it honestly i had i had a lot of fun in this because i mean you've got an end times movie with you know like i said the vice president who is stage who has had a coup staged against him so he's not even legally the vice president anymore attacking the antichrist with attack choppers off of an aircraft carrier and missiles and there's gunfights and there's people being bayoneted and at one point michael york and udu cure call god a pussy and he starts raining meteorites on italy that's and, awesome and then michael york turns into a massive special effect and it's i, I believe jowski how did you word it when uh, michael york 
demoned out when he became a CGI. Oh, I'm like, okay, so the devil just tore off his Michael York skin suit and the CGI devil with the puppy dog eyes. Yeah, the, the eyes. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, he had this, please play with me eyes on this thing that knowing Trenchard Smith's work had to be intentional. Probably. That had that had to be something he put in on purpose, man. Although one thing I've never managed to get to read it, but I'm gonna try at some point. Michael York wrote an entire book about making both the Mega Code movies. I saw that, but I have not had a chance to read those either. And I'm not sure if he's gonna be complimentary or not. <laughs> well, he came back for the sequel, so I think he'll be at least happy they helped him buy a castle or something. And uh, you know what? Like I said, I really enjoyed this movie because. I, I believe the way when, when you first sold these to us was no fucks were given that day. Pretty much. And yeah, this is an exploitation film through and through that just also happens to be an end times movie. And am I the only one that got a Raiders of the Lost Ark feel when God finally intervenes and sends that blinding mushroom cloud of light through all the demon soldiers and their chests light up? Am I the only one that got a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe off that? I suspect the director got that vibe. But I just meant viewing it. I meant viewing it. Am I the only one viewing it that was going, yeah, he, that was where it was a lost art. Oh, movie. yeah, the way they their, their bodies glowed and the light went through them, it looked exactly like the end of Raiders. Oh, yeah. It's almost definitely deliberate. And and But when then we got to talk about Jowski, you brought up the ending. What was your problem with the rushed-ass ending? There was a few problems I had. For example... You have the devil, like, calling his demons that never appear. He has this big speech, and all that happens is it's nighttime. And as this battle's going on, suddenly just God kills everybody and smash cut right to a picture of a waterfall and text on the screen that basically says, and they all lived happily ever after. Well, there was also some other things I thought were very trencherdisms in this. Because usually in the Rapture movies, they don't take other religions into consideration, so it's kind of funny that the Chinese are responsible for helping defeat the Antichrist in this. Yeah, that was a nice sort of change of pace. The only only religion that tends to get treated okay by Rapture movies, except for Christianity, is Judaism. And then the Jews generally are like, hey, the Rapture happened, let's all join the Antichrist, do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I also think it was funny that the Chinese and the Latinos were were his only obstacles. They kept calling them the Latinos. They, was it racist to say Mexicans? Well, they're well, going for they're calling them like Central and South American, weren't they? So yeah, they were. They of, had the world broken into these zones, and they had the Latino zone, which was like everything south of the United States. I just thought that was kind of weird how they just kept saying Latinos, and then the only time Michael York as the devil overtly acts like the devil in public is when he's subjugating Africa. I'm like, yeah, there's a few racial overtones with this. Yeah, that was, um, yeah. Yeah, you can't defend that one. It was a bit WTF. Well, well, I'm not going to try and defend it. What I'm thinking is that they were doing this deliberately is to try and compare the, the white colonials in Africa basically literally as a white devil. I, I, and that's what I that's what I took it as. Well, and Jowski wants to take speeches of mine from what the f- radio drum and lost in the static and overdub every bit of Michael York's dialogue in this movie to re-edit the movie, and I challenge him to do so. 
So do I. It'll do it. take a while, but yeah, I can do it. One thing I didn't get about Megiddo, because I, w- I rewatched it to take notes for my eventual review of it, and um, real, right at the start, you've got Michael York as like a kid and his son's been born and his mother died because Michael Bean was born. And he's like, oh, I'm really sad. And then he looks in a fire and then he becomes possessed with the devil because he was pissed off. I was getting then, a very omen vibe off those scenes. And then he, first of all, he tries to do is try and kill Michael Bean. I was just thinking, the character was definitely not evil before they were possessed by the devil as a small child. What happened to the to the soul of Michael York before he was possessed by the devil? I, 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 now, this is the implication that I got. I got the implication that when he was hating David because he he blamed David's birth for taking his mother away when she died in childbirth, that he opened himself up to the demon possession. I'm going off my exorcist movies here where you have to have some sort of emotional trauma. You kind of have to invite the devil in kind of thing. That, well, that's, that's what I took off of it, but maybe I was reading more into it than Trenchard Smith intended. Though that's probably what they were going for, but that's very, very fucked up. He's like six years old, his mother's died in childbirth. Obviously, he's going to blame the little bastard that was trying to climb out of the woman's vagina when she died. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not fair, but it's obviously what's going to happen. Like, why did they choose him to be the Antichrist? I'm fairly sure there's more than one or two kids every year who are in that position every year. It just... It strikes me as illogical and and a little bit dubious. Well, and the, yeah, so, at least the Omen had the the whole six 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 thing around the kid's birth to play with. Well, yeah. I, I noticed something else too. One heavy tone of this, and the first film did this a little bit, but not nearly as much as Magetto did. They, they kept bringing up how manipulation of the media will bring about the Antichrist, and I'm going to get a little political here. Isn't it kind of funny that the right-wing Christians in the real world are the ones that manipulate the media, use doctored footage, edit the audio, use Photoshop more than anyone else to manipulate the public, but yet this movie is warning about how the media will manipulate the public towards the Antichrist? Am I the only one that thought more than a little two-faced there, right-wingers? No, if... if, if uh... Now, I don't know much about the American media situation when it comes to this. So if if you're right, I have no idea. But if you're right, uh, then I'd suggest it's projection. Like I said, I enjoyed these movies. But when you brought these up, Diamanda, I thought of a couple of others. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. It's very much an end times movie. Mm-hmm. But it's an example of a, of a movie that's at least partly about Christianity, but it's not a Christian movie. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's about the devil, but more of a less of a religious devil and more of an esoteric embodiment of evil. But then it also that last creepy 30 seconds really does set up that, yeah, in the year 1999, the devil will come back and destroy the world and it's unavoidable. And all that they ended up changing in the movie is who the devil possesses, not the fact that it happens. W- what about a lighter tone? technical end times movie terry gilliam's time bandits oh fucking love that movie that's my favorite film i never really I, thought of it as an end times movie just it, it is fun... it, it is because when they miss that piece of pure evil pure concentrated evil at the end it implies that they're bringing about the end times because they're literally ending time itself until sean connery becomes the fireman and takes the kid out and it makes no sense but 
Terry Gilliam always kind of, I mean, he implied to me it was sort of an end times. I mean, you've, you've, got, uh, yeah. you've got the midget stealing the map of time portals from God. It's, I wouldn't call it an end times movie. And oh, yeah. It's got a brilliant production design. But see, I, you know, when you brought this up, I my mind went to Time Bandits by, you know, pure evil and the, the God and all that. But I don't know. Maybe it's not an end times movie, but it definitely is a gaudy kind of movie. Uh, the God was, is a speaking character. I never really thought of it as end times, just rather end of world being this specific suspense impetus. Impetus. Not that fucking word. <laughs> it's a uh, it, it's a fantasy it's a theistic fantasy uh, adventure movie. A theistic basically means that God exists, or the, a theist believes that God exists and uh, that God gives a shit about what they do with their genitals. Basically, God's a micromanager. Yeah, not a very good one, in my opinion. What do you think's going to happen with rapture movies? Because these end times movies tend to be niche market movies. At least they have. But now when you've got Nicolas Cage starring in the remake of Left Behind, do you think that will raise the stature of these? Or do you think that lowered them to the point to the, become the jokes we always thought they were? I think that the, the Rapture movie cachet is rising, and it's not because of the Left Behind remake. The Left Behind remake will kickstart a, a, a bunch of new low-budget Christian movies. It will not kickstart big budget stuff what will be make uh kickstart more big budget stuff is actually i think the i think it's called the leftovers the rejects the tv show that's coming out soon that's set in the post-rapture world i think that will possibly have more of an effect because in america as far as far as i can notice tv is getting all the power um except for, unless you've got a blockbuster and the left behind with nicholas cage is not going to be a blockbuster so, Alex, I have to ask this of you. What do you think the Asylum version of the Nicolas Cage Left Behind is going to be? They've already and, done it a million times over. The Asylum's already made a lot of end-time movies. But, but I mean, they're going to make a specific one for this. You know they are. Who, who, who would be the Asylum equivalent of Nicolas Cage in a direct-to-video movie? Even Eric Roberts is too big name for that, isn't he? Oh, no, 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 no. Eric Roberts has a very, very, very lucrative career right now appearing in christian movies he's appeared in several left behind left uh in rapture movies has he yes he has Is, uh, there's one which features i believe it's him what do you call him who played the comedian and in, in, in watchman and stephen stephen baldwin well stephen baldwin's a religious nut so that doesn't surprise me oh yeah stephen ba the, the movie is called six the mark unleashed and stephen baldwin plays this guru deeply intelligent wise figure and they're, they're all jailed and going to be executed by the antichrist but the funny thing is according to the director's commentary the directors whenever they they got stephen baldwin they were really excited because they were all like oh man stephen baldwin's such a talented actor and it wasn't until after they uh did the first day of filming they realized he was actually a christian <laughs> but josh really all the asylum has to do is just to rip off would they'd make countdown jerusalem 2 left behind and then cast chad allen as the antichrist honestly they would they really should just buy the rights to the Apocalypse movies, which were made by Cloud10, who were making Left Behind, who made the original Left Behind movie, but they were made before the Left Behind movie, and they were made for about a tenth of the budget. Later on, the budget's got a bit bigger. The Apocalypse movies, the first one's got no-name actors. Second one 
has uh what do you call Jeff Fahey. Third one has uh Gary Busey and Carrie Fisher. Fourth one has Mr. T and <laughs> Corbin Bernstein. Well and, and see Just re release them. No a lot of these direct to video ones seem to have a scope larger than their budget. Because I, I have never seen any of the Left Behind movies in from beginning to end. I've caught parts on TV. They really, and I don't know if this is an insult or a compliment to the thing I'm comparing them to or them, they really remind me of like the Langoliers this, you know, or like a Stephen King TV miniseries that has all the really bad CGI and obvious green screen effects. It's almost like they're saying, it's almost like the Ed Wood philosophy. No one's going to notice the little details. They're in this for the big picture. That's a very fair comment. And so so to me, they always just come across as cheap, thrown together by the church kind of stuff. Hell, Plan 9 from Outer Space was financed by the church. It depends on what level of budget you're dealing with, because Apocalypse was, the I'd say, the first one to kick off the modern-day Rapture movie set. And it was made literally for probably about a... They'd be lucky if they had a quarter of a million dollars. This movie is... has It's about 10% made up of stock footage. It's terrible, and the budget is incredibly small. You know, NORAD is played by a circus tent. But the ones that came after that, even in the early days, you know, pre, pre-left behind, you had, like, movies... They had about a million, million and a half budget, which is not big, but it's not quite small enough to be modern-day Ed Wood. And since then, the budgets have just got bigger. And there actually, there's more and more of these movies. And there's, there are actors out there who are, who could pretty much make a decent wage just appearing in Rapture movies. For instance, my favorite Christian actor is a guy called David A.R. White. And he appears in a bunch of different types of Christian movies. I love seeing him in Rapture movies because unless it's a sequel, he's always playing some sort of a government guy or someone who has a gun who doesn't get raptured and then later becomes a Christian. Literally, he, he's been in about a dozen movies where that happens. About a year ago, I came across a Kickstarter for a movie called Normal. And they had a trailer, and it looked fucking brilliant because it was about, it was about this guy who got some porn, and it went into his house, and he was like, oh, I have porn, this is great. And then suddenly there was a porn ghost who was fucking everything up, and it was like a Christian paranormal activity with a porn ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that, that. Sounds interesting, actually. Maybe not good. Good probably wouldn't be the right word, but interesting. I really wanted that film to get funded. It was so, so uh, amusing looking. Diamanda, if that happens, does that give new meaning to ectoplasm? I suspect possibly. It's ghost jism. <laughs> it's just, oh, uh, yeah. So, so if you get some of that ectoplasm in you, do you have, like, a ghost baby? That's what happened to Mary. Isn't that what happens when you shit marshmallows? Isn't that know. ghost babies from ectoplasm? I don't know, dude. I just made a comment about the Virgin Mary, you know, getting ghost jism in her, and that's where Jesus came from. You went too far. <laughs> marshmallows? What? Shut up. I don't know you anymore, Josh. <laughs> so, since we got to kind of wind down, let me ask you this. Because these movies keep coming out for a relative niche market, is there really a big enough market for them to get their true message out? Or are blasphemous heathens like us the biggest consumer of these rapture movies? Do you think your average, everyday, 
nine to five Christian is really going to watch Megiddo and go, yes, this really reaffirms my faith. Or is it the blasphemous heathens us that go, this is nuts. This is fun. I can't believe Christians made this. Is there really enough of a market or do they care even? Well, it depends on the movie. Megiddo, most of its audience is going to be secular probably. But for other ones, such as Thief in the Night and everything, oh, most of the, almost all the audience are going to be Christians. Although these movies are supposed to pretty much equally uh, teach non-Christians about Christianity and sort of reaffirm the faith of the people who are already Christians, although in practice it's about 99% to 1%. These guys, they're almost all made up of preaching to the choir, and one way you can tell that is because they're not attempting to use the cinematic language of non-Christians. They're going to make everything G-rated. They're going to have bits that are basically sermons inside films. They're they're not playing to non-Christians at all. And it's one of the reasons that, as an art form, Christian cinema is basically stuck as a form of exploitation film. The films tend to not be very good because making good films is not what they're interested in. I think both audiences will take from it that they're not they're targeting the secular one but the end result of the movie is actually just interpretation like a hardcore christian will watch megiddo and go this is accurate this is exactly what's going to happen but then somebody like you or i josh will just watch it and just laugh our asses off at just how over the top the movie is and it's all about the interpretation of you know that person well, what about something then like like the Battlestar Galactica TV series, which went batshit insane in its final season and then went super religious in that god-awful, fist-up-the-ass finale that pissed on everything the previous three and a half seasons did? Yeah, the Cylons had a plan, my ass. Producers didn't have a plan, let alone the Cylons. But <laughs> uh, The fact that Battlestar Galactica in its fourth season went completely off the rails and the ending was completely bullshit. Well, I could have told you it was going to be bullshit from, like, season one. There was no way in hell they were going to make this ending make sense and be good. Alex but, disagrees with us on that. Well, he's allowed to be wrong. It's just more evidence that Ronald D. Moore should be allowed to start shows. He should be allowed to be in charge of them until about what, six, se- six sevenths of the way through, and then they should get rid of him. D Space Nine's last season was entirely shit. No, 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 no. I will fight with you on that. I liked DS9. I thought it was cheap how they got rid of Jadzia, but I enjoyed the final season of that overall. And also you had Michael Piller steering that in the right direction, too. Jadzia was got rid of in season six. I know, but but I mean how they handled it in season seven with Ezri was not handled properly. Well, I I love Deep Space Nine. Uh, The last season, though, honestly, I put that on par with Voyager. You know what? We are not friends anymore. Voyager sucks, Josh. I know it does. Voyager is awful. It's still better than Enterprise, but that's a whole different debate. Except for possibly Enterprise Season 4, when they were beginning to be better. Until the, until the series finale, when it turns out the whole series took place during a Next Generation episode? No. Yeah, the the last episode, These Are the Voyages, was was done was not done by the season four guy. Manny Cotto was not in charge of that. He yeah, was in but charge Brandon of and uh, Berman and Braga came back and and said they wanted to give a Valentine. That that's the way they worded a Valentine to Trek fans. What they did was gave you a dirty Sanchez, not a Valentine. Oh, I agree. The Those Are the Voyages was complete bullshit. But although okay. I, I I was happy that they killed off Tucker, I did not like that guy. 
It didn't matter. He never existed. He was a hologram all the time. And Riker's really fat all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) He was. Jonathan Frakes was like 100 pounds heavier than he was when he was in that Next Generation episode this was taking place during. Yeah, that was uh, the Pegasus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like the second to last episode of Next Generation. Even the cast and crew of uh, Enterprise realized that that episode was bad, even when they were filming it. But my point originally was Battlestar Galactica was it had religious overtones to it. I'm talking the 2003 Mm -hmm. series. Oh, both of them did. Well, yeah, but the the 2003 was more subtle. Let's put it that way. And it it actually did subtly work it in until that fourth season where they said, yeah, religion. And they hit you over the head with the mallet. I mean, when it was revealed Starbuck was an angel, I went, nope, I'm done. This is stupid. I'd, I'd argue that the original one was actually more subtle. I, I, Battlestar Galact- new, new Battlestar Galactica hit you over the head with the hammer labeled, this is about religion, quite early on and quite often from season one onwards, from, well, from the miniseries onwards. And see, I, I didn't see that because I saw that, that was almost their made-up religion you know, with, with the 12 gods and all that. I mean, I know that's part of the, the you know, Mormonism and all that, but I, I you know, th- th- that they had the Mormon style in there, but they weren't concentrating on that. It was just a backdrop of the show until well, Starbuck well, the, came back from the dead see, as an angel. See, one of the reasons that the original Battlestar was a little bit more subtle was because it wasn't, it wasn't like the colonial religion was Mormonism. It was that the, the entire show storyline was inspired by by mormon myths and legends and stuff that that's why it's a bit subtle because it's just there in the backdrop it's like a sci-fi retelling of like noah's ark or something i just i found battlestar galactica's finale to be almost as bad as the sopranos dexters or highlander the series finales because those are the three most insulting i can think of well, I'm not going here, Josh, because I know the only reason you're bringing up Battlestar Galactica is because you got outvoted on it in a Facebook debate, and you're basically saying, hey, last week, no, fuck you y'all, guys I'm are, taking it. You guys are idiots. You guys like, are idiots y'all, to I'm say, taking it to Radiodrome. Yeah, you guys are all idiots going, you know what? This was actually a very satisfying conclusion. Diamanda, you want to be a tiebreaker here, either direction? Battlestar Galactica finale was a piece of shit. Thank you. All right, on that note, where can we find Diamanda Hagen, Brad Jones? DiamandaHagen.wordpress.com, where you can find links to pretty much all my videos and my vlogs and whatnot I do. Where can we find Alex Head-Tilted-Jowski? Oh, at GeekJuiceMedia.com. And you can find me, 1201Beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201Beyond at gmail.com. And we're all probably going to get raptured, so it won't make a difference. Have a good night. I won't. I I don't want to be.
outside, DJ spinning, I said, my, my, flash is fast, flash is cool, Francois, the bar, flash ain't no two, and you don't stop, shoot a shot, go out to the parking lot, and you get in your car, and drive real far, and you drive all night, and then you see a light, and it comes right down, and lands on the ground, and out comes the man from Mars, and you try to run, but he's got a gun, and he shoots you dead, and he eats your head, and then you're in the man from Mars, you go out at night. Twelve oh one Beyond Production. Visit twelve oh one Beyond dot com for more great shows.